This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. You are entering the doctor's lounge. Hello again and welcome to the doctor's lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thank you so much for being with us today. The doctor's lounge is where you go to listen to the things doctors are talking about amongst themselves and with the people that they feel are important. Uh, we thank you very much for being with us today. The doctor's lounge is sponsored by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. Uh, we are a 501c3 organization devoted to the sanctity of the doctor patient relationship. We are devoted to free market solutions that minimize the role of third-party payers that minimize the role of health insurance plans, bureaucrats, legislators, hospitals, and all of the folks that, that get in the way of that quality relationship between the doctor and the patient. Uh, I'd like to give a special welcome to hopefully a bunch of new listeners from the uh, health IT space and uh, remind you all that um, you can have as much interoperability as your heart desires. You can live the dream with interoperability. You can have quality measures from here to the horizon. You can have health information exchanges. You can have wearable devices, wireless devices. But the bottom line, the bottom line is if you don't have a doctor-patient relationship, you do not have quality of care. There are certain old-fashioned concepts that as healthcare is revolutionized by the digitalization of what we do, which is inevitable and certainly has tremendous potential to improve things, but only if it is used cautiously, only if it's used selectively, and only if it's used carefully because everyone knows that any form of technology, I don't care how simple it is, I don't care how sophisticated it is, uh, is subject to the law of unintended consequences. And any technology has the potential to do harm as well as good. So if you think your physician colleagues are being Luddites, if you think we're being a little bit slow on the uptake for all these really neat and wonderful information technologies, just remember that the final responsibility for quality of care falls to the physician. We're the last backstop. We are the last line of defense between a well-intentioned but misguided change in how we take care of patients, and physicians bear the final responsibility. So uh, keep that in mind. And again, I don't want to sound negative about it. Uh, Health information technology has tremendous promise, and if you've listened to me before, uh, you understand we were were doing uh, health information technology for 10 years. I've been in information technology for 40 years, and I think it's great. I think it's wonderful. It has tremendous potential to improve how we take care of patients. Uh, It also has the potential to do harm, and that's why docs as a group sort of exercise caution. But um, today's show we're going to take in a very different direction, and that's for two reasons. The first is that there is a very big meeting going on, and and physicians and patients who are listening, you need to know about this meeting. This is the uh, Super Bowl, if you will, of health information technology meetings. It's the biggest meeting of the year for health information technology, and it's called the HIMSS meeting. That's H-I-M-S-S, HIMSS. It stands for the Health Information Management System Society, and uh, this is the parent organization, if you will, that sort of is the umbrella for all of the, uh, the health information technology space. And uh, uh, first, true confessions up front, full disclosure, I'm not at the meeting. I am following this meeting 
on the internet. I'm following this meeting by social media. I'm following this meeting by communicating uh, with the folks that I know and like and trust in the IT space. So I have to be honest with you up front. I'm not there. I have folks that I know that are there. We're having conversations. I'm learning a great deal. And uh, it, it's been a wonderful experience so far. But it's a testimony as well to the awesome power of social media. And the last two weeks have been a whirlwind uh, in my world with how social media has has influenced who I'm talking to now and um, who is I'm in conversations with and who I've had the privilege, uh, truly the privilege of uh, being in contact with and communicating with. Uh, everyone from really knowledgeable, uh, intelligent, helpful people in the health IT space to uh, government uh, bureaucrats, folks that are that are at the very very top um, of the uh, of the organization in CMS, uh, Andy Slavitt, uh, whom I wrote an open letter to, uh, and we are communicating, we're talking, this is really new ground. Um, it's, it's moving so fast, I have to confess, it's a little bit frightening. Uh, it, it makes me think about the, uh, the astronaut's prayer. Probably most of you aren't old enough to remember the astronaut's prayer, but it comes from the old Apollo program and the Gemini and Mercury uh, spacecraft programs before it. Uh, the astronaut's prayer is very simple. It's one line. It's, uh, please, God, don't let me screw up. And uh, it's not the word screw up that they use. It's a little stronger language. I'm sure you can guess what it is. But that's the astronaut's prayer. Things are moving so fast that I'm, I'm almost... It, it's a little. It's almost a little bit frightening, to be quite honest with you. So I'm trying to do this well, and I'm trying to do this right. But um, let's get into uh, talking about uh, what's going on out at Hims, uh, and I'll give you a little foreshadowing here. We're gonna. I'm only gonna talk by myself for one segment, which thankfully is only going to be about another seven minutes, because after that, the last three segments of the show, I ended up with. Um, through the power of social media, uh, a guest for the last three segments of the show, who thankfully does most of the talking for those three segments, whom I'd never met 72 hours ago. I did not know who Don Lee was. Uh, Don is uh, a, a health IT expert who works for a new startup firm called Zen PRM. He's a really nice guy. He's a really knowledgeable guy. And we had an excellent conversation over 39 minutes that I invite you to stay and listen for every single minute of when we start the second segment. Uh, before we get to that, I'm going to do a little bit of review of some of the highlights uh, that have gone on with the the, uh, the HIMSS meeting so far. Um, as you might expect, the first day was the big day, and one of the things about these meetings I'm, I'm not terribly, terribly thrilled about is that they always seem to start these meetings with a a big keynote speech from someone who's always high up in the bureaucratic hierarchy. So, of course, this keynote address uh, given on Monday was uh, by uh, HHS Secretary Sylvia Burwell. And she gave a speech and unveiled this new thing, this brand new thing that lots of people in the uh, health information technology community are now very excited about. And it's called... Drum roll, please. Should have recorded one of those. Drum roll, please. The Interoperability Pledge. That's the new thing. It's the Interoperability Pledge. A pledge for health IT vendors, large health systems, to dedicate themselves, to rededicate themselves to the concept of interoperability. And if memory serves, there's three parts. Uh, one part is to pledge not to data block. 
Um, the other is to pledge to give patients the ability to pull their data and send it wherever they want to send it. And the third is the commitment to communication standards. And lots of folks have already signed on to this thing. There have been uh, 17 health IT vendors, which compromise about 90% of the revenue uh, in that EMR space. And, of course, the big players are on there. You've got arch rivals Epic and Cerner. You have the second sort of tier, which is GE, Greenway, NextGen, Allscripts, uh, McKesson. There's a total of 17, although... I looked on the list for eClinical Works, which is a big one, and, and maybe I missed it or maybe they had another parent company name on there, but I didn't see them represented, which I thought was interesting. Parallel with this, we have 16 major provider groups, and I'm not going to list them all, but we got Kaiser, HCA, Tenet, Catholic Health, Intermountain Healthcare, and Johns Hopkins as the only tertiary academic medical center that, that was represented amongst the three which I thought was kind of interesting. And then we have some others like HIMSS, of course, the parent organization that hosts the meeting, American Hospital Association, American Medical Association, folks that you, you know, don't, wouldn't be terribly surprised to see on such a list. And of course, as one would expect in an industry that is very closely uh, intermingled or uh, inbred with uh, with the government, uh, the many folks in the HIT community retweeted this stuff, rebroadcast this stuff, gushed about how wonderful this is that everyone is dedicated to interoperability. Well, I don't want to sound pessimistic again, but I'm not sure that this means very much. Uh, it doesn't mean very much for a couple of reasons. The first is it has no teeth. So this is nothing more than a pledge. And you know, as we all know, pledges are easily broken. Uh, and with no teeth, all this does, in my opinion, is give the major vendors political cover to claim that they are dedicated to interoperability uh, and yet not have to do anything about it. So Secretary Burwell says, we must demand interoperability. That's a quote. We must demand interoperability. Well, okay, demand it. Now you've demanded it. Now what? Did anything change? Did the heavens part? Did the seas open up? No, don't think so. Don't see anything different. Um, and it's, it's, so, so what is this? I, in reality, I don't think it's very much. I mean, why is it that, that we have to have this top-down approach to the concept of systems talking to each other? I'm not opposed to the idea of systems talking to each other. I think it's a great idea, but I think we need to start bottom-up rather than top-down. And, and it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution. It's the same mistake the government makes, bureaucracies make every time they try to approach some kind of issue in healthcare is that they, they take it upon themselves – to make the assumption that one body of solutions is going to work for everyone, and that simply isn't the case. It simply isn't the case. Why do they assume that every single database in healthcare has to be able to communicate with every single other database? That doesn't make any sense. All this stuff is local. In my world, if I could choose 15 other databases to talk to, that would serve 90% of my needs, and they're not electronic medical record systems in other medical practices. There are things like the lab where I send patients to get blood work done, the imaging facility where I send folks for CT scans, the speech pathology facility where I send folks for speech therapy and swallow therapy and, and swallowing tests. That's where the EMR, even as we do it, 
And we've been doing it for 10 years, and I write much of the code myself, but our system falls flat because I can put a button on a screen for somebody to click that says, get a chest X-ray, but then my staff has to turn around and fill out the same bloody paper form they've been filling out for 20 years. What good is that? We need some sort of back-end connectivity, back-end interoperability, but it needs to be local. It needs to be local. It doesn't do me any good if a made, one major hospital system in my Atlanta market communicates with another major hospital system and leaves me out in the cold with no ability to communicate. Uh, John Lynn, who I'm a huge fan of, who supports me in a blog that I don't write in nearly enough, uh, was kind enough to give me a break years ago, um, said it well in a recent post. He said that committed means nothing if you don't have any skin in the game, and the vendors don't have any skin in the game here. Uh, but he does rightly point out that at least in the interoperability pledge that Burwell and HHS don't try to force a particular solution on the vendors. At least they had the wisdom to allow the vendors to work this out for themselves. So with that, uh, we'll just make a brief uh, introduction here for the second segment uh, to uh, Don Lee, who works for Zen PRM, and I invite you to continue to listen to him in the last three segments. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Karuchek. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, we're going to go uh, dispense with the usual introductory stuff because I have a very special guest here, Don Lee. Um, and we kind of met serendipitously through social media. I'll let Don sort of talk about that. But this is all part of a, uh, a big meeting that is going on in Las Vegas called HIMSS. And it's the big meeting of health information technology professionals. So Don um, is a health IT expert, and he's spent about 15 years building custom solutions um, for folks in, in IT, and he is the product manager for a company called Zen PRN. So, Don, thanks so much on virtually no notice whatsoever for joining us today. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. So uh, just walk everybody through first, right, because this is an audience. I mean, we're mostly doctors, not all, uh, and we have our own professional meetings we go to. We have our professional societies and whatnot, and, and we read papers to each other and have vendors come. Um, but, you know, of course, the health information technology space has its own things, and, and HIMSS, I think, is the biggest one. So why don't you just tell everybody what you know about it? Yeah, absolutely. So HIMSS is basically the Super Bowl of health IT. Um, pretty much everyone that operates in the, sp- in the space has a presence there. Certainly from a vendor standpoint, they're all here, all the EMRs, um, all the pop health systems, all the, all, all the big names um, spend spend a pretty good amount of money to put on a show here. Um, you know, really, it's, it's pretty over the top. And I think in terms of attendance, uh, I'm guessing here, but I, I, I've heard numbers, be, you know, upwards uh, north of 40,000 people here for the show. Um, and this happens every year. And uh, really, it's about uh, everyone getting together, all the experts in the, in, in the field getting together and talking about uh, the problems the industry faces and uh, bringing their solutions and trying to get them in front of folks and, and, and starting to get some traction on them. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty, pretty interesting event. This is the first time I've been here. Um, we're exhibiting, so I've been spending most of my time in what's known as the HX360 Innovation Pavilion, and that's uh, kind of like a little sub-area of the conference where they're focusing on uh, newer, innovative uh, approaches to doing things. Uh, you know, like uh, they, they have it broken up into a couple sections, like Operations 2.0, like new innovative technologies to run your, your back office, run your practice administration, things like that. Um, and they're focusing up there on uh, um, some, some chronic care solutions and post-acute solutions and uh, uh, telemedicine, a couple other areas in that, in that area. Um, so, so, so would you so would, far, so good. That sounds good. So Don, would you say that it's more dominated by the big players, you know the, the big companies, the ones that, you know the top five or six that cover 75 <laughs> percent of the business, or is it mostly you know small companies that you see? Uh, it is everybody. I mean, it's, there's big and small companies here, but I do think I've, I've get, been given the impression that it's dominated by the big players, and you know their presence is you know overwhelming. I actually haven't been out on the big floors where like the the centers and the epics and all them are, um, but from what I understand, there's like three story displays with you know uh, you know they basically build like living rooms and <laughs> couches and bars and everything and else. Condos. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, they're little mobile condos. So, um, I, I will eventually get down there and check those things out. Um, but just because of where I'm situated, it feels smaller to me, um, just because we're in that, uh, innovation pavilion. So I think, I think you can find both. So what, what do you think in terms of the traffic that comes by the booth? Um, what do you think most of the folks that you are talking to? I mean, is it mostly administrators for independent practices, uh, you know, chief information officers for big corporations? I mean, what do you, what's your gut? And I know it's only been a couple of days and it's your first year, so it's not really a fair question, but, but have at it. Sure. No, my, my, I can tell you what I've experienced, and it's been a really good mix. Um, you know, there's, there's certainly been some doctors, not a ton, but there's certainly been some. Oh, well, I was going to um, ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's absolutely doctors here. In fact, I had a, 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 a 
independent physician from the Long Island area. Um, I spent a half hour with her and her office administrator today, and it was one of one of my best experiences here. Um, you know, just talking about the things she's trying to accomplish with her practice and the things she thinks she needs to do so that she can remain independent. She wants to. Um, but if she can't get the right tools in place and be able to evaluate the way she's doing her business um, and, and be able to improve performance of her and, and, and her, her organization, she knows that eventually she'll probably end up having to be, you know, rolled into a larger practice group or corporation of some sort. Um, so, you know, the providers are definitely here. Um, they're not the, the, the biggest group by any means, um, but I've, I've met quite a few. And I actually ran into a doctor here today that I met three months ago in California at the Health 2 show. Um, so there's, you know, there's, there's definitely doctors here and involved. And that's, you know, it's great. Um, you know, it was like when you described it as uh, the separate event that, you know, was for the health IT people and not the doctors, like that was almost like it, it felt, I felt like an unfortunate revelation. It's like, wow, it's, it's, too bad that you feel that way. It's too bad that you feel like it's like a, a separate thing. And I think, uh, you know, that might be why I kind of gravitated towards your, your, uh, Oh, okay. Okay. Let's well. Let Let's talk about the possibility that I'm totally wrong. I mean, that's you know, that's that's part of what we're trying to learn here. And if I mean, it, mm-hmm. that's I mean, I've never been to a hymns meeting, so this may be your first one. But you're you've attended one more than I have, and sure, uh, sure, you know, sure. usually it overlaps with our kids' spring break, so I can't ever sort of you know get away to oh, do yeah. it. But uh, but um, let, let's talk about that that case that you just talked about. You you had a, a doctor and her administrator come by. And she's trying to figure out what IT stuff will keep that she can use if she's independent, but maybe she can use if she can't stay. And use that as a segue. Talk about your company and your product and, and her particular situation. Yeah, absolutely, and, and uh, um, I appreciate that. It's, uh, so I'm with Algonquin. We're a, uh, about an 18-year-old company out of Buffalo, New York, and we have been doing custom software development for, you know, ACOs and IPAs and hospital systems all, you know, all throughout that time. And about uh, within the last couple of years, we made a decision we wanted to focus on products and we didn't want to be you know just professional services and custom software development so we took some of the ideas that we you know some of the things that we had built for our clients and we you know laid them out and said what can we take and potentially scale nationally as a SaaS platform and we had five ideas uh i spent about 18 months uh working at my network across the country and validating those ideas and finding out what would people be receptive to and we had one that was the far and away winner which is uh Zen PRM. That's what we're launching here at HEMS. It is a, a tool that helps uh, organizations that are administering value-based care programs to tr- uh, track and um, interact with their provider and resource networks. So, um, you know, as a provider, you know the like every different group you get involved with, whether it be um, the multiple payers you work with, the hospital systems you have privileges at. Uh, if you're a member of an ACO or an IPA or any of those things, they're all coming at you and asking you for a bunch of information. You know, it starts with the real basic demographic type stuff. Um, where are you? Who do you work with? What are your services? And then, depending on the types of programs you get involved in, it gets really deep into supporting documentation and everything else. Um, and I expect that you you uh, feel that burden, and, uh, and and it's not always a really good experience for you and your staff to deal with. Agreed. Uh, 
Am I right? So Well, yeah. I mean, that's – so how does this – so, yeah, a couple of questions pop up in my head. The first one yep. is – so it sounds like m- most of what you're you're selling to is sort of bigger things like ICOs and IPAs and hospitals and stuff. But this was an individual doctor and one administrator. Yep. Yeah, um, so what, what problem were you problem. hoping to solve for them? Yeah, so that's a, the way we, we are. You're correct that we are absolutely going after the market of the large organizations and giving them a tool that we believe will help them to interact with the providers, as I described. Um, but what we're, we really are keeping you guys in mind. We really want this to be a positive experience for both sides because I know this is a burden on, on physicians in their offices. And we want to make sure that when they are interacting with our platform, that it's it helps them too. They're not our customers. You know, you're not our customer. We're not trying to sell you directly, but we want you. We want this to make your world better. And we want this to make it so that um, it's easier for you to get this part done and out of the way, and then back to practice of medicine. So she came up and you know saw saw what we were doing, and really what she was looking at was how do I evaluate the way that I'm doing business against the various contracts that I'm under. So I have a contract with Payer X and Payer Y and Payer Z, and there's all okay. different um, templates, if you will, about how they decide to pay me. And she said, I want to know, I want to be able to set up, you know, for this payer, these are the things that are, you know, impact the way that uh, I'm reimbursed. And I want to identify if I am missing opportunities to, you know, anything from like code properly to um, achieve like this aggregate measure uh, across all of my patients. And she kind of wants to be able to keep track of that on her own so that she can pair against how she's doing in these contracts so she could basically manage herself and her practice and her partners to make sure they're closing all those gaps. So is one of those things, say, for example, making sure that the that the insurance provider is actually conforming to the fee schedule that was agreed upon in the contract? Because I remember we used to see that all the time. Um, that particular example didn't come up, um, but it definitely is that type of thing. She wants to – it's really about she wants to take – uh, matters into her own hands and not, you know, just uh, be, be subject to the um, whims of the insurance company, if you will. At, oh, yeah, uh, or trust them to, you know, right. right. You don't want the fox guarding the hen house. They need, she needs to be able to monitor them for compliance um, as well, I guess. Right. I, I assume that's what so, you're talking about or something similar to that. Or yeah, at least the so best I, practices, like what does the contract allow her to do with, say, bilateral codes maybe or multi-code procedures or something like that? Or Yeah, right. That was a great way to put it is, like, is, is how does she monitor herself and her own team for those best practices. And the way that she posed it to me was she came and she said, now I'm looking at this and I know what you're talking about. You're talking about ACO. She actually had, in the, you know, previously she was a, a CMO at an ACO, so she knows that. Okay. Really well, okay. and I think that's why she's able to, in her own practice, think along these lines. And she said, "I know that all of these things you're proposing to do for the ACO, if you just say I'm doing this for this one provider, me in her case, um, it's the same thing. So you're doing the same exact set of items. Uh, she wants to put these tools in." the independent provider's hands so that, again, so that you have the ability to, to, to stay independent. You don't have to um, go into a larger system to get access to these types of tools. 
Oh, well, that's kind of a big deal. I kind of like that idea just because it, it helps us. You know, we're, many of us docs are lamenting the trend of all this consolidation and, you know, all of the regulations and requirements sort of driving doctors into the employment model. So anything that, that right. helps, you know, keep us away from that is, um, is something I think we would all kind of applaud for sure. Yeah, and I'll tell you, too, as a, you know, just as a, a patient, you know, especially at a time now where, um, you know, first dollar is my dollar as a patient with the high deductible plans and everything, and right at the time where I need to be able to be a consumer to, an, to, to a certain, uh, in a certain regard in my health care, I don't want to not have these options. I don't want to have all of the you know, independent providers roll into the big systems. And, oh, no, definitely not. You know, in Buffalo, in Buffalo, I'd be left with the choice between two large health systems. I'd go to one or I'd go to the other. Um, I, I'd much rather have that competition, if you will, and I'd like to have the independent providers out there keeping those big systems on it. All right. Well, we're, believe it or not, we're at the end of the first segment. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Uh, I am uh, joined here by um, uh, Don. Don, tell me your last name. Of course, I forgot it. Lee. Don Lee. Um, nice and sure. Yes, thank God. Much better than my last name. That's uh, it's it's a blessing. Trust me. So um, yeah. Don is out at Hims, which is uh, you know the the biggest meeting. Don called it the Super Bowl of uh, of health IT. That sounds like a pretty accurate description. Some forty thousand odd participants uh, getting out there and talking about you know everything in health information technology with the big vendors, the small vendors, all those folks. And uh, when we had to do a segment break, we were just talking about the subject of you know regulatory burden and reporting burden sort of driving doctors into big health systems and how some of the stuff that Don is doing uh, may help doctors resist that trend so let's just pick it up there Don yeah absolutely so uh, we were talking about um, 
you know, the fact that even as a patient, you were talking from the patient's perspective that, you know, you don't want a doc who's necessarily a member of a, of a large consolidated health system. You'd, you'd like a doc that can stay independent and, and yet, you know, with the latest and greatest in health information technology, be able to, to, to scale down the products and be able to provide that functionality for individual docs rather than just have it limited to large groups. Yeah, and that's like just a little bit of clarity on that one. Is It's not that yeah. I don't want to go to a provider at a large system. It's that I don't want that to be the only option. Oh, okay. And, Fair enough. You know, yes. Yeah. So I want, I want to keep, you know, I, I, I want the independence there and I want the, you know, the system that's fine. Everybody, there's a place for uh, both. And I think the existence of both just keeps the, it, it keeps the options open for, for the patients and it keeps the system more Honest. That, yeah, exactly. Uh, took the words out of my mouth. So yeah, keeps everybody honest for sure. Okay. Yep. So let's, let's jump to, uh, this, this concept of value measurement. Cause in the last segment where you were talking about, you know, as so many people do, this, this transition from, you know, volume based care to value based care where docs get paid based on the value rather than the volume of what they're doing. And so whenever anybody brings that up, and this is a favorite question of mine, which is, you know, how how do you measure value in healthcare? And and you've got some thoughts. I'm just going to let you run with it. Yeah, absolutely. So it is it's uh, it's it is the million dollar question or the trillion dollar question, probably in our case. Yes. Uh, what 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 does value mean, and how do you how do you how do you know when you see it? And my thought on this, and I don't know. Uh, I certainly I have no clinical background. Uh, I have you know, and I wouldn't ever sit and say that I think these are the things that should be measured. Um, but I will say, as someone who does watch the industry and who um, spends a lot of time thinking about this, that I. I'm completely on board with the idea of moving towards the value-based model and trying to identify what are the things that, you know, are, you know, what are the things that are worth paying for and how to, you know, get to the point where we can understand that. So I come from, my background as a software developer, we said at the top, you know, I spent about 15 years doing that. And we, um, you know, I mean, we, we subscribe to the agile approach to software development, which is you identify uh, small uh, theories, if you will, you validate those theories. You go out and build small um, versions of them, like the the minimum viable product, if you will, of uh, a particular feature. And then you get in front of people and you try it out. You see how they interact with it, and you see how it works, and you see if you get the results you you were after. And then you repeat that process. And you know maybe you got halfway to the wall that time. Well, then you go back and you throw part of it out and you take another shot. And in my mind, that's the only way to approach trying to identify what value is. And we need to have people who understand how all this works, people, you know, much smarter than me in that type of thing, to sit back and come up with these theories of these are what we're going to test and value. Uh, or these are the things that we think are indicative of value that we want to test for and want to incentivize. And they need to roll those out as measures and try them and measure and be able to, uh, be okay with not getting it completely right and be in a state of iteration and constant improvement. Now, as a, as a doctor, you know, your head's probably ready to explode when you hear me say that because you know how the, that's just going to be uh, more work for you to do or to be constantly changing your targets and capturing all this stuff. And I think that the missing component there would be the, the tools need to be put in place such that 
all of this, uh, call it experimentation and identifying what value is and what quality is, it needs to be able to happen largely without you all having to think about it. Um, you know, the data needs, we need to, we need to decide what pieces of data we need to flow and we need to put tools in place that let that happen and let that be adjusted without impacting your practice, um, certainly not the delivery of care and certainly not your ability to run a sustainable business and earn a profit for yourself and a, and a good living. So that's the, the combination of it is that we, we need, we need tests, we need iteration, but we need tools that, uh, that, that don't drive all of the doctors crazy while we're trying to figure it out. That's fair. I, I, that's I, I, as, as the doc. I, I like the way you're describing that uh, in many ways. I, I'll tell you from the doctor's side. You tell me what you think of this. You know, our our frustration at the moment is that you know the quality measurements that have been you know forced upon us to this point you know violate some of the very rules that you're talking about that I totally agree with. One is to start small. Uh, because, you know, it, it's been, you know, forced at the federal level on us that it's been, you know, it's gone from zero to, you know, everyone across the country in a matter of, you know, a few years. And what we're seeing is that quality measurement now is nothing but a bunch of, you know, boxes that you check. Right. You know, I check a box that says I've reviewed the patient's history. I check a box that says I've reviewed their medicines. I reviewed their allergies. I reviewed their problem list. And from the doctor's standpoint, we say, look, the patient didn't magically get well when I check these boxes. And so, you know, that's that's kind of where we're coming from on, on that side. And it speaks to exactly what you said, Don, which is that this stuff needs to operate in the background, not the foreground, because the, the irony that we see is that, you know, the more distracted we are, you know, jumping through these little boxes we have to check, you know, it's, it's making quality of care worse because we're actually distracted from the patient. We might miss a piece of data because we're busy checking the box. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. And I actually have personal experience, um, uh, taking my son to the pediatrician and, you know, they're, they're in the exam room with us with the laptop. And usually it's not that big of a deal. It's there. They're, you know, they're, they are checking some boxes and pulling some data. It's usually not that big of a deal. But there was this one time that I remember the, um, the, the, the system was hanging or it just wasn't doing what the doctor needed to do. And she became so visibly frustrated that, like, you know, if I didn't do what I did and I didn't understand what her her uh, frustration level was at that point, it like really would have ruined that interaction for me all around. And it was, uh, you know, in our case, because of what I do, it ended up leading to uh, kind of a nice conversation about it. But it, like it stood out to me. I was like somebody who doesn't know any better about why she's swearing at her computer here. And yeah. <laughs> you know, I swear she wasn't really swearing, but you get the idea. Uh, yes, yes. In the room, yeah, she was. There's no question she was completely frustrated. She was being prevented from doing her job. She was being prevented from uh, focusing on, on my son in that particular scenario. So, you know, I, 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 I've, I've lived it is the point, and, and I totally understand where that frustration comes from. Um, I've lost my second point now, like I apologize. Oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> that's that's what happens when you record this stuff, right? Just like I forgot your four-letter yeah. last name. It's just it's right. so, so, it's so easy. I bet this a little bit while I get caught up. So you were talking about... So let's. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's. We, we're actually. We're actually almost running out of time on the on the next segment here. Let's okay. slide over to what you and I did together this afternoon, which was this tweet chat thing, uh, yeah. and and uh, 
and we talked about this concept of interoperability. So you set up this tweet chat to sort of talk about this and invited people to it. And, uh, and, and so we were sort of talking about, you know, two perspectives on interoperability. One was top down and one was bottom up. So maybe give people a, a, a sort of a background on what a tweet chat is and why you set it up and, and what your goals were and, and how you did it. Cause this whole social media thing, I'm barely getting my, arms around it now. I've learned a great deal just in the past seven to ten days. But, uh, you know, most of us docs are clueless about it. So just start wherever you want to and roll with it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, social media in general is, uh, if, if, if used properly, is an extremely powerful tool for meeting people, for learning new things, and just being exposed to ideas that you just wouldn't otherwise come across. And, you know, you and I meeting and having this conversation is the, is the perfect example of why I, I go out and do this stuff is, you know, I, I read one of your posts uh, about interoperability from the doctor's perspective. I really appreciated your, 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 your points on it. And it fit into this thing that I'm working on, which is the, the business of healthcare. Uh, I'll call it the business of healthcare community, and uh, it has two components right now. One is that tweet chat, uh, which is basically just a designated uh, time and date where uh, folks interested in a particular type of topic um, convene on Twitter and have a quick conversation about something. And it's uh, um, it's an interesting way to exchange ideas. Uh, you know, you're limited to that 140 characters, and it's you know, it's it's a, it's a, a a little trickier to communicate in that regard than it would be if you were talking in person, as we are. Um, but you can still get some pretty good ideas out there. And really what it does for you is it uh, forms the basis for the follow-on like this. Um, you and I had a good exchange online, and now we're talking and we're exchanging ideas. That's awesome. So the tweet chat is intended to do just that. Uh, the business of healthcare community, my idea there is uh, a lot of times in the health IT world, um, you kind of hear this cry for, we need more innovation and we need, um, you know, we need doctors to try these new technologies and we need that. We, we just, everyone's got to be all in and we got to have these, you know, big ubiquitous like silver bullet solutions, go, go, go. And they completely disregard the fact that you all are running businesses and earning a living in this process. And there's like this um, weird mixture of, uh, an expectation of altruism from doctors and healthcare organizations in general, because it's uh, obviously our health is such a deep and meaningful and personal thing. And, like the fact that there's a free market around it, I think really troubles people. And the purpose of this business of healthcare community is to kind of address this from a standpoint of, well, how do we situate these businesses? How do we improve the business processes so that you all are in a position to take some chances on, on this technology and, you know, basically to create space for that innovation. Um, and that's really what I'm trying to, to, to drive all of that conversation around, uh, hence the interoperability topic. Um, I am completely in agreement with you that this, like, agenda of we need a just ubiquitous, uh, semantic, complete interop solution where everybody's information is just easily transferred everywhere and everybody knows exactly what everything means. It all maps up perfect and it's great. I've spent the better part of, you know, my professional life, you know, over 15 years dealing with this stuff. And I, it, it's the simplest way to put it is that's not going to exist. Like, I don't think that that is ever going to be a thing. And the longer we keep trying to, um, 
the longer we keep using that as an excuse for why we can't do things because we don't have this national ubiquitous interrupt, I think the worse off we'll be. Um, so that was my theme for this week. Uh, a couple of the big thinkers uh, in this space, uh, John Holanka, who is uh, yeah. a CIO at, uh, so you're, you're familiar with them. Uh, well, and, never uh, met him, but I've read his stuff, and I'm a, I'm a fan. Yeah, he's a sharp guy, and he's... Tell you what, let's continue this. I'm going to cut you off. Let's continue this in the uh, next segment for a couple of minutes. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Karuchek, and we are uh, talking about uh, this big meeting out in uh, Las Vegas this year called HIMSS, Health Information Management Systems Society, um, the Super Bowl of healthcare meetings. And uh, we were just sort of talking about this social media phenomena called a tweet chat and we and and don you um you hit on a concept that just about had me jumping out of the chair here uh, about um the the expectation of altruism from you know regarding physicians so um just kind of repeat what you said and take it as far as you want to and then i'll pick it up yeah absolutely um you know the 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 quote if you will was that there is, uh, there seems to be an expectation of altruism from uh, healthcare in general, um, just because of the, you know how important it is to us as, as people. Um, but again, people disregard or forget in these conversations that there's a, a business and a livelihood, and you all have families to support and everything else, just like anyone running, you know, uh, whatever kind of business. Um, so where this where this comes into like the interoper, interoperability um, issue is it is very clearly not a technical problem that we don't have this you know, a concept that everyone's looking for of interoperability. Um, and actually, I was just at, uh, you know, speaking of social media, um, I was just at the social media ambassador event 
um, and uh, a gentleman that uh, I, I do a weekly uh, blab chat with, uh, Shahid Shah, uh, his, his, his quote was, there is no crisis of interoperability in America. There is a crisis of us not knowing what we need to know and when we need to know it. Oh, that's and, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's, a, it's a great quote, and it's like I couldn't sum it up better. So this is, you know, the the there, there's no technical um, issue preventing, quote-unquote, interoperability. And what you hear in the conversation is that um, everybody needs to go and get this problem solved because it's the right thing to do and because it will help patients. And at the end of the day, that's all that should matter. And that's when I, you have to step back. I know that's, that's where I start to see this. You know, I see that as the expectation of altruism. You should do this because it's the right thing to do. And what I translate that into, I hear you should take money out of your pocket and away from your family and put it into solving this interoperability problem, doctor, because it's the right thing to do and it's good for your patients. And I, you know, every doctor I've ever met wants to do everything in their power to take care of their patients. That's what, you know, that's why you guys got into medicine in the first place. Um, but there is like, there's a limit to what you can do. And, you know, think about a different business line. Let's say, um, I'm driving around. Uh, I got two little kids. I got a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And let's say I've got bald tires on my car and I can't afford to buy new tires. That's like saying, you know, the, the equivalent would be saying Goodyear should give me new tires because it's the right thing to do. Poor guy can't afford his tires. He's got two kids. You should do this because it's the right thing to do. And that expectation doesn't exist in that model, but it very much exists when it comes to Healthcare. Well, let me throw another wrinkle into the mix and tell me what you think about this. And to be fair to everybody who's listening, Don didn't get a chance to sort of preview this question, but this is this is an extra little wrinkle in the expectation of altruism because the financial piece that you bring up is absolutely valid. Um, there's another piece that kind of layers on top of that and may even come in front of that, and it is it is a directly out of concern for the patients because anytime that you adopt. Another technology, and I don't care how simple it is, uh, you know, how obvious it is that it's going to be wonderful, there's always the law of unintended consequences. Right, and the and the, mm-hmm. the classic example that I bring up is you know this whole thing with the death of America's first Ebola patient in Dallas, where the EMR failed to push the travel history to the caregivers. And, you know, we're always appropriately afraid that anytime you change stuff. Uh, that that you're going to have some unintended consequences that are going to hurt patients. And the examples are, are all over the place, right? You know, everyone used to jump up and down when they were talking about e-prescribing and CPOE for hospitals where, you know, we're putting all the medication orders in with computer clicks instead of handwriting, and everybody harped on bad handwriting, which is a valid point. But what they failed to recognize is that when you put all this stuff online, you may get rid of the errors that you understand, like bad, like bad handwriting, but you create a whole new set of errors that you don't understand, like alert fatigue and all these other things. And so much of our fear, much of what makes us look like Luddites is really an abundance of caution on behalf of the patients, which says, you know, and I, and it so plays into what you're saying on the altruism side that we should just be chomping at the bit and the minute somebody offers a new technology, we need to jump, even money aside, we're supposed to jump on it and go, yeah, this is great, you know, I want a thousand of them tomorrow. 
the fear is, is you know, we we evolve the way we do things very slowly, and we get into systems that we are comfortable with that that don't create mistakes. And when you have total upheaval, right, disruption, everyone likes to talk about disruptive technologies, that you run into a problem with disruption causing harm. So that's 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 sort of the that's sort of the, my little mini speech on that. So I don't know if you can react to that on the fly with with absolutely no warning, but but there yeah, it is. Yeah, no, I, I can I can absolutely understand where you're coming from, and, and I can completely respect that too. And you know, with the rollout of EMRs and the way that went down, um, you know, it was. The meaningful use legislation, to your point earlier about it being, uh, you know, just hit these checkboxes, like the legislation, the incentive went to the how of the solution. They were trying to tell you, we're incenting how you are going to do your process right. instead of incenting you to an outcome. You know, what did, uh, at the end of the day, nobody cares that the data is electronic versus on paper, and nobody cares that. Uh, it can be easily exchanged. Nobody says those are just those are just uh, actions. What yes. they care about is that the patients are taken care of, um, that they are getting the treatment that they need, that costs aren't out of control, that we have a sustainable system. And you know, it's you know, there's obviously an, a, a place for technology in helping that go there. It's 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 an, it's it belongs. It should be part of it, but. The incentive shouldn't tell you, here's how you're going to have healthy patients and incent the how. It should say, you need to have healthy patients or you need to have um, patients that fall in these ranges or you need to, whatever it is, you need to do these things um, that are the outcomes we desire and we'll incent you to get there. And then they need to let you as a provider and as, uh, you know, an operator of your own business figure out the best way to do it. And, you know, that's, that's where, you know, that's, that's how the free market has success in other industries is the outcome is just it, invariably the outcome is, is the thing that's incented. Um, and the smart people who are the operators of that business figure out the best way to reach that outcome then. So I feel like I'm getting a little bit off track, but that was my uh, no, that's first perfect. reaction to it. No, that's so perfect. The, that's perfect. The, one more thing I'll say on it then is because of the fact that the we incented the how, you all ended up with some, you know, in many cases, some not so awesome tools. Oh, yeah. uh, so the, the the biggest first experience you all have with uh, with with health IT is the EMRs that um, that you were effectively forced to get onto, and they don't work that well. Uh, in all cases, you know, my pediatrician example, um, you know, I thought she was going to throw a computer across the room. It, you know, so when the next piece of technology comes, I got to think that, you know, I picture that, that, that woman, she's probably going to think, oh, I don't want another piece of technology if that's what it's leading to. So I can understand the reluctance for yeah, sure. And, uh, I'll, I'll give you just a, a, a short vignette on, on our practice's history of meaningful use because we, we got our EMR in 2004, so we were way ahead of the meaningful use curve. And, uh, and I write my own code. So, you know, we bought our product is a shell, and inside the shell is a proprietary programming language. And so I wrote all the code for all the workflows, all the templates, all that stuff. I started with a blank sheet of paper and, and put this together. And what we discovered was that for the first five years, because we're 
basically, we're 10 years deep in our EMR. We had five years before meaningful use. We had five years after meaningful use. And what we discovered was that before meaningful use, we were kicking butt. I mean, we were doing well. We were solving problems that no one had even recognized, much less solved. You know, one of them being sort of the implementation problem. You know, how do you implement an EMR without causing chaos and, you know, loss of patient volume and loss of revenue and all that kind of, you know, business-related stuff you were talking about earlier. And sort of to get into... You know the science of workflow, which in and off in a, in healthcare doesn't really exist, and um, you know, and you and I know some folks, uh, you know, uh, Chuck Webster and stuff, who are really deep into this stuff, and uh, uh, and and so we were doing great until meaningful use came along. And when meaningful use came along, two things happened. The first was our vendor would no longer talk to us about how to innovate the program. They came out and just said that. They said, meaningful use is here. We got all hands on deck, getting certified. We really can't talk to you anymore. And then the other sort of ugly irony was that that I didn't have time anymore. I mean, all the code writing I was doing was now dedicated to compliance instead of innovation. And, you know, that, you know, sort of in a short vignette is sort of where we came from. Yeah, and I mean, if that doesn't uh, if that doesn't back my point up, I don't, I don't know what does. It does. So it's basically, yes. you chose you chose to go out and implement an EMR because it was good for your business and it was good for your patients when we were doing things. Yes. And the moment that you know, so there was there was no how being dictated to you. Correct. Was, you know, you were going after the what, and then later because you were out of the game, you got the how layered in on top of you, and then that hindered your outcomes. It hindered what you were trying to accomplish. I mean, so it's, it's, that's the exact point I was trying to make. So, yes. you know, let's, let's, let, let's let the market figure out what's the best way to, to accomplish the goal. Just set the goal and let them go to town on it. Yeah, it should all just be focused on you know do the right thing for your patients. You know the problem is is this one size fits all solution, and I think you kind of alluded to that too, which is that you know different doctors have different situations. You know if if everybody gets to pick their how, then everybody's free to pursue it the way they want to, as opposed to you will take blood pressures at every visit. You will you know yeah exactly things, you know. exactly. I mean not not to go off on a crazy tangent here, but I know the guy no, please a do. guy whose business is uh, his whole business is built around understanding the spread of infections in hospitals and all of the programs that are out there right now are all about um, getting the employees to wash their hands and yes. he said you know it, 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 he, he's like I'm not going to give you all the secrets off of our business, but basically uh, everyone's focused on how often these medical folks wash their hands and you know what they know when to wash their hands it's like they're they're professionals and they understand what they're doing and they understand what's time they're not the problem because if you sit outside of the um uh the the uh critical care unit and you watch the people who are coming in to uh visit family members he said if a third of those people wash their hands before they go into that room you're you're having a good day oh yeah and you know, and it's 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 basically it's the the it's the patients themselves, and it's the visitors who are spreading the infections, and all of the focus is on well, how many times did Jane, you know, Nurse Jane, wash her hands today, and make sure you've checked all the boxes that said you washed your hands at two, four, six, you know, I mean, whatever the right. times are, and uh, you know, at that point, you're just you're you're just insulting the people who are who you want to be engaging, you're insulting the nurses and the practitioners, and. Everybody that's else. Not, that's, 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 yeah, it's not a good yeah. way to accomplish Well, believe it or not, we're so. at the end of, uh, of three segments. Uh, you have been listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. 
This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 